Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to uh, another edition of Under the Macroscope, our weekly catch-up with Skybound Capital's chief strategist based in the London office, Jabir Sadawala, and we uh, talk macro views, things that are affecting uh, economies and, and markets around the world. So coming up on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about some highlights from uh, the recently presented UK budget. Uh, we're going to be talking about some Brexit problems, fancy that, uh, and then also some T-cell immunity uh, that has been uh, discovered to be part of the, or a result rather, of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, that news coming out of the US. Uh, but on the subject of vaccines, we're going to start in Europe, and, and Jabir, quite a significant development in the last week is, is the backtracking uh, from European governments around the AstraZeneca vaccine. Yeah, hi Matt, and that's absolutely right. I mean, we've um, so we started about two days ago with the French um, giving approval for the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine to be given to the over 65 year olds, bearing in mind that they had um, um, uh, put a pause on it before. Um, and then just today, I saw that Germany's uh, done the very same. So it's clearly spreading across uh, Europe. And, um, you know, all I can think is what a shame, because this was a vaccine that was actually approved by the European drug regulator um, at a very early stage. And they said that, you know, that we think it's perfectly fine to give to the over 18 year olds. However, individual governments um, for reasons best known to themselves, argued that there wasn't enough evidence or proof um, that it worked. Um, you know, it's, it's almost like a little bit of con conspiratorial in a way, but uh, anyway, it is what it is. Um, and it also goes a long way to explaining why Europe is so badly behind on its vaccine program. France has only distributed something like 24% of its uh, one and a bit million stock of Oxford AstraZeneca vaccines. So um, hopefully they can, they can uh, start to pick up on the back of this, but they've got a long way to go. And for good reason, uh, vaccines and vaccine rollout programs have been uh, core components of our podcasts in recent weeks because they have such a tangible effect yeah. on economies globally. So let's hop across the Atlantic and, and talk about the Pfizer-Moderna vaccine, uh, news coming out of the US there, again, very positive with regard to T-cell immunity. That's right. Yeah, this came out this week based on a scientific study that they've been doing uh, of people who have received the, um, the, you know, the different doses. And um, it shows that, uh, you know, there's a good um, there's a good production of T cells, which um, uh, are proving very effective uh, in the fight against the particularly the um, uh, as they've come to be known, the South African and Brazilian variants which is wonderful news. And I hope, you know, this, uh, this is taken further quickly in order to, to help ease the angst that exists amongst so many people, um, you know, in terms of uh, are the vaccines effective against those particular strains? Um, it clearly, you know, it, it's looking like they are. And this is on top of all the other good news that we've had. Um, for instance, um, we know now that uh, you know, whereas in the beginning, they, people were saying you have to leave it three weeks between the first and the second dose. Then it came, um, they started saying that, you know, you can leave it up to three months. 
now they're saying you can leave it at least three months, which is, you know, what helping to facilitate more people being vaccinated. Jabir, can we in future refer uh, to the variant first discovered by South African scientists instead of the South African variant? Indeed, I totally agree. South African listeners to the podcast. Just a point there. <laughs> Likewise with the Kent virus. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So closer to home for you, it, it was always going to be a big focus of the past week, uh, the delivery of the budget uh, mm. in the UK. But what are the highlights for you there? Uh, many. It was actually quite an action-packed budget. Um, so if you break it down into into its different components. Um, so first of all, big, big support for the COVID-19 vaccination rollout or the extension of, as well as, and for me, much more interestingly, around the, um, the financial support for further clinical trial and uh, scientific support packages. Um, in particular, the government wanted to get in place an incentive program that, um, that helps us to fight this, you know, as and when it reoccurs um, and to improve the process by which we can you know, get the whole genome side done and dusted quickly and effectively, which I think is absolutely the right thing to do. Um, and you know, the support package there is, comes close to two billion pounds, which um, is, is quite a sizable figure. Um, in addition to that, and perhaps the biggest component of the budget, a very wide range of measures aimed at protecting jobs and livelihoods. Um, so the furlough scheme has been extended to September now. It was due to expire end of next month. Um, interestingly, and uh, one of the key highlights, uh, I won't go into all of them, but um, the, uh, the duties on home buying have been extended. So I think you can expect uh, a big surge in home prices to continue, um, possibly get even higher. So, you know, and, and that involves assistance with deposits, which I think is, um, uh, is a fantastic idea. So they're really committed to helping people move into, into uh, houses. It should feed through into the construction side of the economy. Um, a range of initiatives aimed at strengthening public finances, uh, one of them controversial, and we'll have to see whether it gets through Parliament, because there is a body there that's against this within the Conservative ranks, I might add. Um, he, the Chancellor wants to raise corporation taxes to 25% from 2023. Now, currently, the rates are 19%. Now, as you know, you're probably aware, I mean, there's been a lot of debate probably globally, around do higher taxes disincentivize or do lower taxes help um, stimulate more tax receipts? Um, I think the key thing here is that it won't come into effect until 2023, and it only applies to large companies, not the smaller ones. So that's, uh, you know, that, that's actually a very significant um, point to make there. So if businesses making profits less than 50,000 a year, they remain at 19%. Um, also a big boost to investment led recovery. Um, so in a nutshell, I remember many years ago, we had something called capital allowances, whereby you could claim a very sizable portion back from the government you know, for investing in new plants and equipment. Well, effectively he's done the same again here, 25%. That's clearly a move at trying to modernize our uh, factories and industries, which I think is a great step. Last but not least, various initiatives that extend beyond England. 
uh, beyond the English borders, so covering Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. Um, and it's a range of things aimed at trying to prop up uh, companies, um, which has obviously had its um, spin-off issues recently, um, as well as the way grants are actually made across the country. Many years ago, there was under a Lord Barnet, what's come to be known as the Barnet formulae for how much um, uh, support is given per head of population across the British Isles. And um, this is something that the Chancellor addressed in this budget. But uh, aside of that, supporting companies. Well, I'm glad you raised the issue of Northern Ireland because it, it links seamlessly into another piece of news, which is that um, England have behaved uh, less than positively around uh, the flow of goods to Northern Ireland in terms of Brexit agreements. Yeah, that, that's right. And um, um, it's very it's it, it's not really something you'd associate with, you know, playing cricket. I mean, um, if you look at the British approach, typically, I mean, this was very um, evident under Theresa May and also her predecessors uh, until I suspect, you know, when you go back to the late Margaret Thatcher. Um, one EU official said that the new, uh, the new approach by the British government is very clear. It's confrontation. Now, this is not the, you know, this is not the first time, it's actually the second time, and it's over the same subject matter in Northern Ireland. Um, in reaching a Brexit deal, um, it was agreed that uh, Northern Ireland would be given um, uh, an extension, a, a period of time in which to adapt. Um, and the British government asked that, you know, if that could be extended, because there are clearly issues at the border. There's no doubt about it. Um, and the EU flatly refused. The UK government has now taken it upon itself to unilaterally uh, extend it itself and has argued in response to severe complaints by the EU that this, oh, this is just a temporary phenomenon. Um, it's not going to last forever and it will remain in, in place until October. Um, so what does it all mean? I think, um, look, I think it's another negotiating tactic. Uh, to be quite clear, the, the border is drawn in the Irish Sea. Now you might think, well, how the hell can you have a border in the Irish Sea? So bearing in mind that one of the biggest stumbling blocks with Brexit was how do we deal with Northern Ireland um, in order not to upset the Good Friday Accord? So they came up with this idea that any goods going from the rest of the UK um, to Northern Ireland, so in other words, from Great Britain to Northern Ireland, um, would then have to undergo checks uh, within Northern Ireland, even if it's not going beyond Northern Ireland from there, because that line is in the Irish Sea. So what the UK government has now said, Westminster has said that, um, no, we're extending that grace period till October. And of course the EU is up in arms. Um, you know, the Irish also have expressed their annoyance. Um, I think the, by Irish, I mean the, uh, you know, Republic of Ireland. Um, I think they're kind of caught as like piggy in the middle mm -hmm. because they don't quite know what to do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's causing a lot of angst there. Where's it all heading? I think we'll come to another 
arrangement here. I think we'll come to another agreement. But for me, it signifies the new tack that the UK government is taking. It is quite confrontational. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not what you'd normally associate with being British, but it is the new style. And it's going to doubtless lead to some angry sprouts from Brussels. <laughs> Without doubt. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Look, I, I, I felt for a long time that um, that the Brexit deal was really a quick fix. It was to enable uh, companies to carry on as they are, albeit with significant paperwork. Um, the signs are that companies are now starting to come to terms with this, but um, really the only difference between Brexit deal and WTO deal here is, um, is the fact that it's tariffs, that's all it is. And uh, what could happen if Brussels really digs its feet into the ground? Well, they can turn around and say, right, well, we're imposing tariffs, in which case we're just back to where we started. That's all it is. Well yeah, another thing you've been keeping your eye on, and, and perhaps a topic for next week's uh, podcast as well, is is the so-called Brexitus uh, around financial services professionals and so on. I know you're seeing a, a slight tapering off of movement in that regard, but let's pick up on that uh, next week. As always, great to get your views, uh, Jabir. Don't forget, uh, if you want to download uh, Under the Macroscope as a podcast series, you can get it at Apple, Spotify, and the Google podcast platform for Android. And uh, if you want to catch up on some of the past podcasts, you can go to www.skyboundcapital.com. We wish you a good week, and until the next time, goodbye.